All right. This morning, uh, we are beginning our new series, Flowing Out of Easter. Like Jason said, Easter is not just a day, but it is a season that we celebrate as a church. It's 50 days long. We're going to unpack that a little bit more uh, in the message. Um, But this is called Jesus School, all right, because it tells us in the book of Acts, the writer Luke tells us in the book of Acts that for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus walked with his disciples. He spent time with his friends, and it says he taught them about the kingdom of God. He had already done that for three years, right? But now it takes on a completely different look, a completely different understanding, because he's teaching them through the lens of the resurrection and his crucifixion, right? And so that's what we're going to spend time doing over these next uh, several weeks together is unpacking what it means to walk in this Jesus school, to understand what it means to view life through that lens of his resurrection and his crucifixion and the way that changes everything. He calls us beyond just this lecture kind of grasp of what discipleship is, beyond a lecture and into the lab in the real world, living it out in the world around us. We're going to start off our message this morning uh, with my friend here. This is Mr. Santis Beatty. And uh, give, give Santis a big welcome for me. All right. This is a good man uh, right here. He lives in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, but he's from North Carolina. So there you go. And he's a Tar Heel fan, right? Yes, sir. All right. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to have to get him off the stage if not. But, uh, I'm just <laughs> Uh, but Santis uh, is a leader in our in a, in our church. We're a part. This local expression is a part of a global family of churches, a global collection of churches known as the Wesleyan Church. And so you'll hear us talk about that from time to time. That that's the stream that we're flowing out of, and the heritage that we are coming out of. And Santis serves in that in that global capacity. Um, in, in a role of multi-ethnic leadership and challenging the church um, to express itself in the way that the kingdom of God has expressed itself, right? For us to, to get that full grasp of what the family of Christ looks like, the body of Christ, challenging us towards racial reconciliation and a multi-ethnic expression of the local church. And so it is an honor to have him here visiting with us today. And I've asked him just to bring a greeting uh, to this church body, but also um, to take a few moments and um, out of his place of leadership in the global church to pray over us as a local expression of Christ's church. Thank you. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. And um, um, being away from my family last night was tough because my son is a diehard Carolina fan. And so uh, he was calling me the whole way in the car, making sure I knew what the score was until I got to the hotel. So uh, just glad to be here. So I bring you greetings uh, from the Wesleyan Church headquarters. Uh, we have over seven, uh, 1,700 churches in North America, over 5,000 worldwide. And uh, you are a part of uh, that movement. And so we're just excited. I was here a couple years ago for CCDA when it was here in Raleigh and was able to see firsthand uh, some of the work that's being done here at Love Chapel Hill and just excited about what God's up to. And so uh, I'm just going to pray. Uh, it's, it's good to also just have a friend and a, and a brother mm-hmm. in Christ that uh, I can just talk to, sh- iron sharpening iron over the years. And so thank you for allowing me to be here and uh, just a joy. So we'll, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, what you're doing. And uh, God, we just lift up uh, this church 
this expression of what you're doing uh, in Chapel Hill and across the world. And we pray your blessing over the leadership of this this team, this ministry. Uh, we pray, God, that you would continue to use them mightily to advance the kingdom, to share your love, uh, to express the grace and truth that only you can provide. And so, God, I lift up right now as I look across this room and I see the many faces and the many stories that that represents. And, God, I just pray that you would continue to uh, dig deep within us and allow us to see your glory and, and allow that to manifest in how we live each day. And, God, I know that this church desires to continue to to move in a direction of being multi-ethnic and and reaching this community and expressing uh, your love throughout this area. So God, would you use each person? Would you raise up leaders uh, from among this community? Would you uh, develop relationships uh, even more than's already existing, God, with uh, partners and other churches and other agencies and ministries and uh, universities across this area? And may you be glorified through what is done. God, may many come to know you through what is happening in this church. May many come uh, to recommit their lives to you, God, because of what's happening in this body. I pray, God, even for children and, and uh, students and uh, college students, God, to really grab hold of what it means to love Chapel Hill, to love their neighbor as they love you. So we thank you for that, God. We know that your your ear is not uh, heavy, that you can't hear us. We know that your arm is not too short, that you can't reach us. And so we pray this in confidence, knowing that you hear us and that you can answer our prayer according to your will. So have your way in this place. We thank you for what you're doing. Open our hearts now for the word. May we receive what thus saith the Lord from your man of God. We thank you, God, that we'll be able to not only hear your word, but we would apply it to our lives and we have the courage to respond. It's in the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Let everybody shout amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Love you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. No doubt. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Santis. Well, um, I I got a good report to give you um, from our um, outreach that we organized last night out here on Franklin Street. Um, started around 11 o'clock. Uh, I was up on the varsity roof preaching and, uh, thousands of people came out. It was, it was phenomenal. There was running, jumping, screaming. Wow. Awesome. All right. There you go. We counted every one of them. Record attendance, y'all. Check it out. All right. Uh, well, we are in this season of Easter tide, and it's this 50 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and the church is launched in power on that day, where the believers of Jesus Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not just something that happened on one day. That is the reality that we now live in. Every believer in Jesus Christ, redeemed through his, cru- through his crucifixion, given new life through his resurrection, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single believer. Let us seek after that. Let us walk in step with the Spirit and live in that kind of way. This season of, of Easter Eastertide, uh, a friend of ours, we were talking with him about this last week, and he just pointed out the fact that Lent, this time of mourning, this time of leading up to the crucifixion where we are contemplating the cross, Lent is 40 days of fasting. Easter is 50 days of feasting and celebration, right? And, and Easter wins out in that. I love it. 
It's beautiful. It's a great season. So we're going to be celebrating that as a church. What we're going to do is we're going to look at these different appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, when he appeared to his disciples before his ascension, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. We're going to start today where we left off last week, all right, in Luke chapter 24. Last week we read through verse 12, and we're going to pick up today with verse 13, and this incredible um, appearance of Jesus to his disciples. As we're working through this passage today, we're going to go uh, verses 13 through 35. As we work through these passages, there, there's, there are four questions that we're going to wrestle with at the end of the message. So just prepare your heart for that now. Let them sink in now and let the Holy Spirit stir in you even as we go through this message. Our four questions are this. Number one, where do you run when the story breaks down? Where do you run when the story breaks down? Number two, what script do you follow? And whose script are you following? Number three, do you need a burning heart and open eyes? And number four, which way are you walking? We're going to unpack these together. Let the Holy Spirit stir that as we move into it. Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to start right now with verse 13 and, and read through 18 as we unpack this whole story together. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, the same day, the same day as the resurrection of Jesus. Now two other disciples are going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Isn't that hilarious? The resurrected Jesus and these guys are walking along and he just shows up and he's like, hey, what are we talking about? How's it, what have you guys been up to the last couple of days, all right? I've just been, like, overthrowing death and whatnot, okay? Um, so Jesus himself walked with them and asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus Asked, are you only a visitor? Are you the only person who hasn't heard the story about what has happened? This is a cool little uh, uh, literary device that's being used here called dramatic irony, where the author lets the reader know more than the characters get to know, right? And so we get drawn into this story, and it's funny for us because we get to look at it from the outside we know who it is that's walking with them we know about the resurrection and the truth of it and we believe in it and grasp it and they don't know yet so it's kind of entertaining for us to get to know more than they know and it's almost like jesus is winking at us right when he says what things what things are you talking about but the irony goes further than that because if we'll let the Holy Spirit, he will cut right through that little chuckle that we're getting to have. And he will pierce our own hearts 
with the truth that time after time we fail to see the way that Jesus is engaged with our lives. In the midst of chaos and confusion that we are going through, we can't even recognize that it's him who is walking us through it. We don't even see him. We fail to see him right in front of us, interacting, engaging with our lives. And we go further than just failing to see him. We go to the point of flatly accusing him of being the only one who doesn't understand what is going on. Are you the only one who doesn't know the full story? That's what it feels like. Jesus is right there walking us through it, but we think he's the only one who doesn't get it. He's the one who doesn't understand. He doesn't know the full story. You don't understand. You're not working the way you're supposed to. Are you the only one who doesn't get it? The Holy Spirit cuts through and pierces our hearts with that what are those places in your life the chaos the confusion and you look around and you can't see the way that he is engaged i guarantee you he is walking right beside you you just haven't recognized it yet you just haven't recognized it yet he is intimately involved and fully engaged in every part of your life it's very tempting for us as christians to kind of refuse to embrace this tension of our faith, right? And we let these things be separate from each other where Jesus is fully engaged. And we look at these places in our lives and we say, well, this is where my faith is happening, but I don't see Jesus moving at all over in this place. And I don't see where my faith is engaged with this part of my life. And we refuse to embrace that tension of that moment. We're going to, as a church, uh, over the next year, several different times, we're going to embrace something called the AND Forum. This is something new that we are starting, all right? It's called the AND Forum, and the idea is to recognize the places where Jesus is engaging with our culture. Faith and. So we're going to talk about faith and politics in the fall that might be somewhat pertinent right as we roll around to the ed, to the election so we're going to talk about that in the fall faith and politics our, our friend dr chris clark who's a political science professor at unc is going to help us wrestle with that topic we're going to talk about faith and science our friend who's another professor at unc dr praveen sithapathy is going to help us wrestle through that we're going to talk about faith and justice and other topics that you might want to suggest to us in a couple of weeks we're going to wrestle with a really difficult one this is a place where often we are on the road we are on the journey and we can't recognize the way in which jesus is engaged with us in this we're going to talk about faith and depression I shared my story a few weeks ago, and I was really overwhelmed at the feedback from some of you and the way some of you said that story matches up with my story. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have an open forum, an honest place of discussion about that. On April 13th, April 13th, that's a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock at the North Carolina Study Center, which is right on campus. It used to be called the Battle House. It's close to Forest Theater. We're going to have a forum, a discussion 
my own brother, who is a pastor, who has walked through very deep depression, is going to lead us in a discussion. He's not going to come at it necessarily from a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, as somebody who has walked through it and has experienced the presence of Christ walking him through that. So I encourage you to be a part of that with us if you can. The Ann Forum, Wednesday night, April 13th, 7 o'clock, North Carolina Study Center. We want to create an open place where we can be honest about some of these discussions. It's difficult to recognize at times, but Jesus is engaged with it. He is engaged in it. We just haven't seen him yet. As it goes on, uh, starting with verse 19, it says this, what, what things Jesus asked, and then they began to explain what had happened. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. A prophet, powerful in word and deed. They've got somewhat of a grasp of who that he was, but not fully, right? Not fully yet. He was powerful in word and deed. This is one of the great um, things that people come against Christianity with, right? This is one of the great uh, objections against Christianity that people have is that Christians are hypocrites, right? They've got the word, but they don't have the deed that matches up with it. No one has ever accused Jesus of being a hypocrite. No one has ever accused Jesus of being a hypocrite. The next time somebody objects to Christianity on that grounds, be kind to them, be gracious to them, be generous in that place of doubt for them, okay? And come from a place of understanding, but also challenge them. Point them to the person of Jesus and remind them that Christianity has never been about Christians. It's always been about the person of Jesus. It all hangs on him, not on us. And of course, Christianity is filled with hypocrites and broken people because that's who Jesus wants, Jesus is always going to the broken people and drawing them to himself. So, of course, Christianity is full of broken people. That means it's working. All right. So point people to Jesus. No one has ever accused Jesus of being a hypocrite. Powerful in word and deed, it says. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped Hang on to this right here. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is now the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. They did not see Jesus. In this moment, they are disoriented. He was a prophet. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and restore the kingdom to Israel. They were disoriented by these reports of resurrection. They were disillusioned because the story didn't go the way they had planned it. And they were disappointed in what they saw as the ending. They were they were disoriented by all of this. Uh, some of you have heard this story, but several years ago, um, 
we had a friend who was a part of this church. His name was Taz. And uh, many people referred to Taz as homeless. But Taz had found a home right here with this church family. He was an important part of this church family. Many uh, Sundays, you just never knew what you were going to expect, right? Or never knew what to expect with him. Never knew what you were going to get. Uh, most Sundays, Taz would come in to church, um, shall we say, under the influence. All right. I'm not going to say he was all the way drunk, but to quote the great Kentucky poet Wendell Berry, he was at least three thirds drunk wow. most Sundays. <laughs> all right. Math humor. Great. Um, then one day we got the, the, the really sad news that Taz had passed away. So as his church family, we held a memorial service for him. We held a, a funeral for him and, and we shared stories and we sang songs and we laughed and we cried. And then we laughed again the next day when we found out he wasn't actually dead yet. <laughs> yes, that really happened. All right. A resurrection up in here, y'all. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, so Taz, from that point on, took on the nickname of Tazarus. All right. <laughs> Back from the dead. All right. Those kind of reports uh, can be disorienting, all right? So I can understand how these guys were feeling in that moment. They're like, listen, we, we've heard these reports, and it had them all messed up, right? Disorienting, disillusioned, and beyond that, disappointed. The story did not go the way they hoped that it was going to go. Let's dig into this a little bit more. Where does it say that they were headed? They had left Jerusalem. They were making this seven-mile trip to a small village. What was the name of the village? Emmaus. Exactly. The road to Emmaus. Now, here's the deal. In stories, setting is always important, right? It's like another character. It doesn't often have dialogue, but it has so much to say to us. What does the setting of Emmaus mean in this story? As we dig into the history of Israel, we see that Emmaus was a key village, a key town. And it marked one of the greatest military victories that Israel had ever seen in their history. About 200 years before this story is taking place in Luke chapter 24, about 200 years before this, in the year 166 B.C., there was a great military victory that happened for the people of Israel. They had been overtaken by the Greeks. The Greeks had conquered them and they had lost their freedom as a people. But a revolt was rising up and it was being led by a man named Judas Maccabeus. Anybody ever heard that name before? Judas Maccabeus. Now, in the days of, of Jesus, Judas was a very popular name because Judas Maccabeus was a great military Hero. Now, Jesus's friend, Judas, who betrayed him, kind of ruined that name for everybody from then on. Right. But in this point, Judas was a revered name because of Judas Maccabeus. He was this great military hero, sometimes called Judah Macca Maccabee. All right. The word Maccabee or Maccabeus was a nickname that meant the hammer. He was so ferocious in battle he was nicknamed judas the hammer that's a pretty good nickname to have right i feel like 
about to drop it on them, okay? Um, despite my research, I was unable to find anywhere where it said that his battle cries he was going in to fight was, is hammer time. Which, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it, all right? Seems like a missed opportunity, man. You should have done that. Okay. But he became famous, especially for this battle that takes place in Emmaus. He leads a smaller army against a large army who is heavily armored. He overthrows them. And in this great military strategic victory to this day, it's known not just as great in in Israel's history, but it's been listed as one of the 50 greatest military strategic moves in the history of the world. So he becomes greatly revered because of this battle that happens in Emmaus. It actually sets up a series of victories that leads them to retaking the temple. The Greeks had desecrated the temple. They had cut off worship and they had made it against the law to practice this Jewish form of worship. But Judas, the hammer, leads them in victory. He retakes the temple. He cleanses the temple. He restores the temple. And he sets them on a path of a hundred years of independence. Emmaus. They're going to Emmaus because they are looking for the hammer. The story did not go the way they thought it was going to go. They thought Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David, who was going to be a king like David, who was going to be this great military leader, who was going to lead them in victory to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. And it was going to be Judas the hammer all over again. But the story didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. They were disillusioned, disappointed and disoriented. And they were going back to Emmaus. They wanted to find Judas the hammer. They were disappointed. They were not looking for the hope of the resurrection. They were looking for a military giant, not a crucified servant. They were looking for the hammer, not for the vine or the shepherd or the way or the truth. Or the life. They were looking for an uprising to defeat Rome, not for a surrender and a sacrifice that would be raised back up. The story didn't go the way they thought, and they're headed back to Emmaus. Where do you run when the story breaks down? What do you turn back to when things don't go the way? that you think they're going to. You sign up for this life of surrender with Jesus and then things start to go against you. Where do you turn? Where do you turn when the story doesn't work out and when it breaks down? Sometimes it doesn't go the way you plan. Sometimes the dream falls through. Sometimes she leaves you. Sometimes he betrays you. Sometimes the job is lost. And the school says no. And the check doesn't come through. And the success doesn't pile up like you had hoped. When the confusion and the chaos sets in, when your reality gets dismantled, where do you run? They were going back to Emmaus. They were looking for the hammer. It didn't go the way they thought. 
as the story goes on. Let's look at verses 25 through 27, which is going to lead us to our next question. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning him. This brings us to the second question. Whose script are you following? Whose script are you following? Jesus had gone off script from what they were looking for, from what they were hoping for. He gave them more than they hoped for, and they weren't ready for it. Whose script are you following? You're looking for Jesus. You're listening. You're trying to hear God speak to you, and you feel like it's not happening. Whose script are you following? Are you immersing yourself in Scripture? Are you in it? Are you getting rooted and established in the word of God? Do you want to hear God speak to you? Then go to the place where he's already spoken and dig into the word. Do you want to see Jesus revealed? Then go to the place where he's already been revealed and dig into the word and line yourself up. Surrender yourself. Submit yourself to the script that's been laid out for you. Whose script are you following? Wrestle with that question the next question is this do you need a burning heart and open eyes in verse uh, 30 through 32 it says this why is that as they approached the village uh, to which they were going jesus act, acted as if he was going further but they urged him strongly please stay with us for it's nearly evening the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them when he was at the table with them he took bread get that imagery in your head He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. You recognize that from anywhere else, right? Obviously, we've got the Last Supper and then go back as well into the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Apart from the resurrection, it's the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels. This is a way of Jesus revealing to us who he is. He is the word and he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of the Father, he said. He broke it, and he gave it to him. He gave thanks. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us do you need a burning heart and do you need open eyes the last question is this which way are you walking which way are you walking here's what it says then they got up and they returned at once to jerusalem there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying it is true the lord has risen and he has appeared to simon then the two told what had happened on the way And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Which way are you walking? They leave Jerusalem, the site of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they're headed to Emmaus. They're looking for Judas the hammer. They're going to that last place where the great revolt had happened. They're looking for something there. 
They're walking away from Jerusalem. And then in this moment, when their eyes are open, when they recognize their burning hearts, they turn and they run back to Jerusalem. They run back to the scene of it. Which way are you walking? As we wrap up this morning, I want us to spend some time intentionally praying through these four questions. We're going to open up some time right now. There's space here down front. And if you want somebody to pray over you, then we're going to invite you to come down and to sit here. And we're going to pray through these four questions. I'm going to ask Maggie Santis, if you will, be ready to come and pray over people. Ellen, if you'll be ready to help pray over people if they need that. Okay. We're going to spend some time right now praying through these four questions. And if you want somebody to pray specifically over you, then come to the front and we will do that. Let's pray. First of all, where do you run when your story breaks down? Holy Spirit, challenge us in this right now. Help us to be honest in identifying the things that we turn to when the story doesn't go the way we wanted it to go. Maybe we're in the midst of it right now, confusion and chaos, and it was supposed to go this way, and now this has happened. I pray that you would help us to turn to you, to run to you, that you would be the place that we run to when the story doesn't make sense because only in you is it ever going to make sense. You are the one who takes all of our confusion and you take our chaos and you begin to speak understanding into it. Our lives do not make sense apart from you. The broken places will never be healed apart from you. The things we can't grasp will never grasp them apart from you. Help us to run to you first, to be the fortress that we turn to, that we find our security in when everything is falling apart. Next, whose script are you following? God, thank you for the power of your word. And for the way that it invites us into deeper understanding, but beyond just knowledge and understanding, it invites us into wisdom, which is deeper. And then it invites us even deeper into that, into experience of you. God, I pray that you would give us as a church and as individual followers of you, an unshakable passion for your word. Help us to be hungry for it. Help us to wake up in the morning hungry for it. Help us to go to bed at night hungry for it. Help us to meditate on it all day long, to feast on it throughout the day. We can't live by bread alone, but you are the bread of life, and your word opens that up to us. Like you broke the bread around that table and you opened their eyes. I pray that you would break open this bread to us and open our eyes 
set our hearts on fire. Give us a passion for that. God, set our hearts on fire. Help us to walk and step with the Holy Spirit. Help us to be filled with and surrendered to and flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Set our hearts on fire. Open our eyes to the revelation of who you are and the ways in which you're at work around us. Through our chaos, through our confusion, help us to see clearly. Help us to see you. Just as you opened eyes throughout the Gospels, I pray that you would do that for us as well. And God, help us to walk towards you, not away from you. Help us to always be moving towards you. There are some of us today who need to make a turn like these disciples did. There are some of us who are trying to move away. There are some of us who are trying to distance ourselves. But I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to realize you're pursuing us. You're walking with us every step. Help us to surrender that to you and begin to walk in step with you to follow you in the direction that you've already made clear to us. There are many of us in this room, we've got our direction, we know. We just haven't been obeying. Help us to walk in obedience, to turn, to repent, and begin to move in step with the Spirit. Lead us in that. Give us the courage to go back. Give us the courage to go back because sometimes that is the only way to move forward. We repent of the places where we have let our hearts moved out, move out of alignment with you. We surrender. We submit ourselves to you. Your will. Help us to walk in your way. Pray that you would challenge us with these questions throughout the week. Bring them back to us when we need them. And bring us into a place of submission on these questions. You are our hope. We thought we were hoping for these other things, but you have blown all of that out of the water. You are our hope, and you are more than we could have ever hoped for. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.